0: salvation, letter A, talked about the Bible, uh, letter B, and we're currently on letter C and we're teaching through the doctrine of the church. And it's not completely exhaustive as far as all the doctrine, but it, it covers all the major things that we need to understand. And uh, so that's where we're going to be today with our is teaching through the doctrine of the church. Before we get to that, though, class, uh, we need to We need to uh, recite the books of the Bible and we're working on learning all the books of the Bible in our Sunday School class. So you get to help us with that today and you get to recite them with us. If you don't know the books of the Bible, look in the front of your Bible in the index and find a list of them. All right. And we'll recite them together. Uh, But the goal is by the end of our class that we're going to be able to recite all the books of the Bible. And this is good for us to uh, know them just for because we know them, but it really does help when you're you know, preaching and teaching and there's Bible study going on and turn to this reference and turn to that reference and we can, we can get there. So it's good. All right. So let's start in, uh, at the beginning. Class, um, who, who is, first before we do that, who is willing to give it a shot for me? We do this in class. All right, Daniel, go ahead.
1: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy... Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Jonah, Jonah, Micah, Micah. Nathan, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Haggai.
0: No, Zechariah, Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, good job.
1: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Uh, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter.
0: First, second, and third, John Alright, good job Daniel. Alright, very, very good. Okay, so let's all do it together, alright? Starting at the beginning. Genesis, <laughs> Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and Second Thessalonians, first and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first and second, third John, Jude Revelation. Okay, good. Most of you were moving your mouths. Were you actually saying the words of the books of the Bible? I don't know because I can't see that far, but appreciate the help. Okay, so keep working on that class, and next week we'll do it again until we have that down where you don't have to look. All right, so the last lesson, uh, your homework was letter D, right? And uh, I have you write something down from your lesson that was meaningful that you can share with the class. And so who's got something to share with us today? Anybody? How many of you didn't finish your homework? No one's being honest. Or are you being honest and so you all finished it? I'm talking to my class, of course, yes. All right, so who's got something to share then? If you did your homework, you got something to share. Okay, Kara. Um, we were in Matthew
1: 6 for our assignment, and it talked about main repetitions and that um, they're empty and they mean nothing. And I just went to a Catholic funeral yesterday and... Mm.
0: Mhm. And I. So what stood out to you, like that you? What I'm taking from that is that you can actually have a real, meaningful, personal connection and relationship to God. Yeah. That it's not just empty. Yeah. Amen. That's really good. Alright, anybody else? Who else had something that you wrote down in your, cl- in your homework? Nobody? It's disappointing.
1: I did it a while ago. Okay. And I tried to go through it again last night and I got most of the way through it. But, so we were, what? we were supposed to write down
0: what? Well, just as you're doing your homework assignment, right. something that stands out to you, that's meaningful, that you can just, instead of just doing homework assignments, this is God's Word that we're applying. No, that's okay. Alright. Okay, same, same uh, idea for next week as well. Okay. As you're doing your homework assignment, don't just read words. Don't just recite things. Don't just fill in blanks. Think about what you're doing and apply God's Word in your life. Let it become, uh, absorb it. Let it become something that's meaningful and personal. Okay. And if you ask the Lord to do that as you're doing your assi- assignment, He will and He'll bless you with it. And that will be, in turn bless the rest of us as well. Okay, Alright, so we've been talking about the doctor of the church, and we'll just do a little review uh, for the rest of you. And, and some may say, well, I know these principles, these truths already. And I say, praise the Lord if you do. But it's good to be reminded of them, because it causes us, again, to thank the Lord for how, how blessed we really are. Uh, not everything that calls itself a church is a church. And this is important and I was telling some of you in the class, you know, you may not always be here at Plack Road Baptist Church. You may move somewhere. You may you may end up in some different place in your life and but it's still God's will for you to be a part of a New Testament church. And so you need to know what you're looking for. You need to know what kind of a church God approves of, right? That you can join yourself to. And so understanding and knowing the doctrine of the church and what the Bible has to say a church is, the kind that Jesus approves of, is so critical to your Christian life. And, and praise the Lord that we're saved. Praise the Lord that, that, that our life is changed in salvation. But that's not the end of the story. God's will for you as a believer in Christ is now to become a part of His body in which you can serve Him through and glorify Him That is God's will for every one of His children. And so it's important as well because Jesus gave His authority to His church to preach the gospel, number one. That's how we're saved, right? Jesus also gave His authority to His church to baptize. That is so critical because the first step in your Christian life, the first step in obedience to Christ after you've been saved, is to be baptized. Well, Jesus gave authority to baptize to his church. It's important then because having the right authority in baptism means everything. And then Jesus gave his authority to disciple. And that's what we're doing here is discipling, teaching to observe all things that the Lord commanded. Jesus gave his authority to his church to do those things. And so not everything that calls itself a church is a church. Let me take it a step further. Not everything that calls itself a Baptist church is a scriptural New Testament church. Not everything that says independent Baptist on the sign is a scriptural New Testament church. It's really critical. And so this is why we cover it. Most people think if you were to walk out into the world and say, well, what is a church? A lot of people would think, well, it's, it's that building over there. That's the church. Well, that's not what a church is. It's not a building. We meet in a building, but a church is not a building. Other people would say, well, it's this denomination or that denomination, or it's the non-denominational. And that's what they think a church is. The Bible tells us exactly what a New Testament church is. And this is why we're walking through it. And, a lot of, and here's, the, uh, here's another thing that's very common and very popular even amongst Baptists, is they believe that the church is the body of Christ. And the Word of God says that the church is the body of Christ. But their interpretation or definition of that is that it's all the saved everywhere. So once you're saved, the Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. That is a false doctrine. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not at all what the New Testament church is. And there's a confusion that goes on between the family of God and the Lord's church. All saved people everywhere are part of the family of God. We're part of the kingdom of God. But that's not the same thing as the Lord's body as a New Testament church. And so this is why we need to talk about it. So we talked about, first of all, uh, any ideas that we have had in the past about what a church is, any thoughts that we've had in the past about what we think a church is, to lay all of that aside, and let's just look at the Bible, and let's just look at what God has to say, and let that teach us and define for us what is the church that the Lord approves of. Okay, And we talked about the church as a New Testament institution, first and foremost. And we looked at Matthew 16 and verse 18. Let's go ahead and turn over there. Matthew 16 and verse 18 These are Jesus' words here. And Jesus says in verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is speaking of himself as the rock, as the Messiah, as the Christ. And he says on this rock myself, I will build my church. Okay, that's the first reference to the word church in the New Testament. The word in Greek is ekklesia, and the word ekklesia means a called out assembly for a particular purpose in a particular place. That's the definition of the word that it's always been. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he didn't change the definition of the word a called-out assembly for a particular purpose in a particular place. And so what we need to understand is that when we're talking about the Lord's church, the Lord's church is an assembly, okay? It's an assembly of believers that have been baptized who are covenanted together for the purpose of serving Christ. And I'm condensing some of this uh, because we've already taught it, but I'm condensing some of it for our sake here today that word ecclesia it comes from uh from uh, old or greek uh ancient times or uh government city states things like that where the the town crier would come out and he if there was a, something that needed to be discussed or addressed the town crier would come out and he would call out the uh, the the people to the forum or to the place where, where the meeting needed to happen and, and the people would come and it would be an, a group of people assembled together for this particular purpose. That was the general meaning of the word. Well, Jesus didn't change the definition when he said, I will build my church. However, he did distinguish it from other assemblies when he used the word my. It is my church. My assembly. And so, just for the sake of condensing it, a New Testament church, first of all, is an assembly of believers, okay? Called out for a particular purpose in a particular place. Now, if we're talking about an assembly, a church as an assembly, there's some important facts that we need to understand concerning an assembly, if it's going to be an actual assembly assembly, there's some things about it that just have to make sense. First of all, we have to understand that in order for it to be an assembly, it's got to be something that's local, all right? So this idea out there that the church is this universal body, I mean, it's all believers everywhere, we're part of the body of Christ, we're part of the church, is wrong in this sense, the fact that An assembly, for something to be assembled together, it's gotta be something that is local. You can't have something assembled that's universal and scattered everywhere. That's not an assembly, right? It doesn't make sense. So it's gotta be something that's local. People can't come together and yet be all over the world at the same time. For an example, and we used this example last week, your car or your truck, that's an assembly of parts and pieces that make it what it is, right? You've, you've got different uh, uh, parts to your car. You've got alternators and you've got, you've got an engine and you've got hoses and you've got clamps and you've got, you know, pulleys and you've got uh, pumps and you've got all of these things that need to be assembled together to make it what it is. How stupid and how foolish to have a pile of parts scattered everywhere and say that that's a car. Or a truck. It's not. Not until it's assembled together, right? That makes it what it is. There's no such thing as a universal car that's scattered everywhere. It's a local thing. It's, it's, it's got to be. Now, the word church or ecclesia is used 114 times in the New Testament. And in all but about 15 of those times, it is used of a particular location a particular place and a particular group of people the times when it's not used of a particular location it's just used in a generic sense like you would say the family or the home you're not talking about any in particular family or home you're talking about it in a generic sense okay that's the way it's used in the bible and so we looked up all of uh, several of these references and we'll just use one as an example. Uh, turn to first Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one and verse two. The Bible says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and Paul calls it the church of God, the assembly of God, which is at Corinth. And that is how it is used in all but about 15 times in the New Testament of the 114 times that it's it's referenced. Always a particular location, always a particular place. And for that reason... The Bible knows nothing of a universal church. By the word by the way, the word Catholic, Catholic Church, it means universal. and that's a big confusion out there. and so an assembly has got to be local first of all. and if, so if you're looking for a church and, and I encourage people this way when, when people are are going on vacation or when people are moving and they're looking for the church as they pastor, do you know of any good church in such and such a place? One of the things I always encourage is, look at their doctrinal statement. And look what they say about the doctrine of the church. And if they say in their doctrinal statement that the church is all believers everywhere or the Holy Spirit baptizes all believers into the body of Christ, you can get a good idea and understand that their doctrine uh, is, is maybe not quite so sound when it comes to the doctrine of the church. Uh, they're kind of a universal church mentality. And that, that has a lot of ramifications to it, which we don't have the time to go into right now. <clears throat> but first of all, no, there's no such thing as a universal church. The Word of God always speaks of local bodies, local assemblies. Second of all, for an assembly, for it to be an assembly, it's got to be something that is also visible. And, and I'm highlighting this because, because even amongst Baptists, there's the universal invisible church doctrine. And none of that is true according to the Bible. An assembly has got to be visible. People cannot come together and not be seen. And many like to talk about the invisible church. Like, oh, we're part of the body. It's this invisible church. And they like that because, because it gives them it gives them, there's no accountability there. I can move around and I can float from church to church because if I don't like what's going on over here and I don't like what the pastor said and I just don't like him as a person in general, we can just move on over to another church because we're all part of the body, right? Not so, according to the Word of God. And what we need to understand here is that all the churches mentioned in the New Testament were all seeable visible localities so let's look up first philippians chapter one just as a reference and we looked at several in our class last week and by the way my class they have books that they're following through as well so they have all of these references and and uh, there's questions to answer and blanks to fill in and so on so class keep doing that today as we get into the the new material that we're going to cover okay Philippians 1, in verse 27, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, "...only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." So Paul writes to this church, and he, he's encouraging them, giving them instruction on how they need to stay faithful and stand. But he says that whether I come and see you, I want to come and see you. And if I do, I, or whether I don't, I know that you're standing fast in the Lord. So it's a particular church in a particular location. It's an assembly of believers that are visible. They're seeable. Paul says, I want to come and see you. And an assembly cannot be an assembly if it's not visible. And then thirdly, we talked about the fact that an assembly has got to be organized. Meaning that it's not just a mob. It's not just a, a, a rabble. It's the word assembly apply, implies organization. And, and we looked up Colossians chapter 1. And the reason we did that, Colossians 1.18, you can turn there. The reason that we did that is because the Bible says here in colossians 1:18, and he that's christ is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have preeminence so the new testament church is figuratively likened to a body and jesus christ is the head of the body which is the church all right so what does that tell us? Well, if it's likened to a physical body, how does my body work? Well, it's, it's organized. It's all different organs and parts and pieces that are assembled together to make my body work. There's only one head. The head tells the rest of it what to do, and it's the same in the body of Christ, the, the local New Testament church, that Jesus Christ is is the head and it's got to be organized and all of you and and myself included if you're a member of this church you're a body part you might be an elbow you might be a kneecap you might be you know a spleen i don't know i don't know what you are but you have a particular purpose and a particular function that is to work together as for the whole for the good of the body you know what happens when what happens when You break your pinky toe. You stub it really hard. You smash your pinky toe, and it's all broken. What happens? Well, you feel it in the rest of the body. It affects how you operate and how you function, because it's connected, and it's part of you, and it affects the rest of, (coughs) of, of, of how you function. It's the same in a church. In a New Testament church, it's an assembly of believers who are saved people who've been baptized who are are covenanted together to serve Christ and you might be the pinky toe and you might be hurting you might be broken and the rest of us should feel that and we it affects the and so when when someone's missing when someone's not functioning like they should it affects the rest of the body <clears throat> and so we need to understand <coughs> excuse me that a church is an assembly. It's got to be local. It's got to be visible. It implies organization. Let's look up another verse because the New Testament church is likened to something else. 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> Excuse me, there we go. <clears throat> In verse 15. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The Bible says... But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So here a church is likened to a house. The house of God, which is the church of the living God. So the house that you live in physically is also an assembly you don't just dump a pile of lumber in the yard and bring in the all the mechanicals the electrical and the plumbing parts and pieces and just throw them out in the yard and then bring in your insulation and your sheetrock and just throw it out into the yard and call that a house it's not an assembly it's not a house yet it's a Bunch of materials, but it's not a house until those things are assembled together to build and make it what it's supposed to be. Makes sense, right? The same is true with a New Testament church. You don't call that pile of materials out there a, a house. It needs to be organized and put in its place to become that house. Well, the New Testament church is the same way. Those items have to be put together according to a plan, according to a blueprint. And the Word of God gives us the blueprint for what makes up a New Testament church. It's got to be organized. But it also has to have the right materials. And this is where we get to new material for us in our Sunday school class. An assembly, it's got to be local, it's got to be visible, it's got to be organized, but it also has to be constituted. And what I mean by that, it's got to be made up of the right components. Not just anybody and everybody can be a part of the Lord's church. This is really critical. And why is it critical? Well, we, we are what I believe is a scriptural New Testament church. We have the right authority for our starting. We, we function according to the Word of God the best that we can. And, and it's very important that we follow the biblical teaching. So as a church and as a body, people come in, they visit the church, and they say, hey, I want to join your church. All right, great. Do we just let anybody and everybody come into the assembly or come into the body simply because they say, we really like this place, we really like the people, we want to be a part, we want to join your church? Do we just open the doors and say, sure, come on in? A lot of places do that. They do that because it's more numbers and it's more money. And more resources it's a bigger name because look look at all the awesome things that are happening at such and such a church and so on is that what jesus tells us to do is that what the word of god instructs us to do well no it's not uh, the lord said jesus said i will build my church it's his it belongs to him 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says that God sets the members in the body as it hath pleased him. Not as it hath pleased the pastor, not as it hath pleased anybody else, but as it hath pleased God. He's the one who sets the members in the body. He's very particular about that. So when someone comes around and says, hey, we just want to join your church. What we need to do is say, okay, well, Does this line up? Do you line up with the right components that make up what the Lord's church is? Let's look and see what those are, okay? So when we say that an assembly has got to be constituted, we mean that it has to be made up of the right components. How absurd to assemble a motor vehicle out of milk and leaves and some other product. That doesn't Make a motor vehicle. You have to have the right parts, the right components. And how foolish to build a house out of paper and bandages and some meat that you bought at the store. That doesn't make up a house. It's not the right building materials. Does that make sense? It has to be the right material. So, too, a New Testament church is not to be made up of just anything or anyone. God specifies the components in a New Testament church. So let's look up Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 gives us a very clear and concise picture of what a New Testament church is to be made of. And for those of you in my class, we're going to read Acts 2.41, but you need to write that out in your, in your uh, lessons. And so as we read that, you can write write that out. Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, there's some important words here, and we need to understand some context of Acts 2.41. Acts 2.41 says that there were those... Who gladly received his word, and those who received the word were baptized, and those who were baptized were added unto them, and it totaled about 3,000 souls. Okay? The context of what's happening here is this is the day of Pentecost, and Peter and the other apostles are standing up on the day of Pentecost. They're preaching Jesus Christ to thousands of people. Of course, the day of Pentecost was a, a Jewish holy day and people would come from all over the world to Jerusalem. There, the population of Jerusalem would, would triple and quadruple and, and, and I've read that there could be up to even a couple million people that would come for the day of Pentecost. The point is that there was a lot of people that day and Peter and the other apostles are standing up and they're just preaching Jesus Christ. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. God is empowering them by His Spirit to preach Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that after they preached, those that gladly received his word, those who, who received the word concerning Jesus Christ, were, they were saved. Those people were baptized, and those that were baptized then were added to them. Did you notice that word, them? Look at verse 41 again. Those that gladly received his word, the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Who is them? What is that talking about? Well, we got to go all the way back to Acts chapter 1, which is just one chapter, to understand the context and who them is. If you look in verse 12 of chapter 1, they returned, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. So they returned there because Jesus has just ascended back to heaven. And when they were come in, they went, there, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. The apostles are there. Verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs be fulfilled. Let me just stop right there and and give you the idea. So Jesus just ascends back to heaven. They come back to Jerusalem as they're supposed to. They gather together with the other apostles and the women. And Peter seems to be the pastor of the church, the presiding elder of the church, and he stands up in the middle of the people and he's going to speak. And the Bible puts this in parentheses. The number of names together, about 120. In other words, this assembly that was there was about 120 members. And Peter stands up as the pastor and gives some clear direction as to what they're supposed to do next. That is the setting. That is the context. When you move into Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God empowers them to go and preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost. They preach the gospel. They preach Jesus Christ. There were those who received that message. They were saved. Those ones were baptized, and those were the ones that were added to them, the 120 members of the church. Does that make sense? And so, what do we find here? Acts 241. This verse gives us God's qualifications and order for church membership. First of all, we find in this verse that there were those who gladly or voluntarily did what? Somebody tell me. Received what? His word. We know from the context that they were preaching Jesus, him crucified. That he's the Savior. So we find, first of all, that there were those who gladly or voluntarily received the word. This is salvation. So when somebody comes into the church and they say, Hey, we want to join your church. The very first thing that we need to understand and know is, Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Not just, yeah, when I was a kid, my mom told me, that I got saved when I was six. Not just, yeah, I've been a Christian pretty much all my life. Not just, well, my family is Christian and I'm part of the family and so I'm Christian too. No. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? When did you repent of your sin? When did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And how has your life changed and manifested real salvation? Are you saved? That's the very first thing. So when people say, hey, we want to join the church, the first question is, are you saved? When did you get born again? When did this new birth happen in your life? And until, like John the Baptist, who, when he was baptizing and the Pharisees all came out and said, Hey, we want to be baptized of you, John. John said, Wait, 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 wait. Show me fruit of your repentance. I want to see it in your life that you've really been born again. Then we'll baptize you, but not before then. That's a critical, critical component being a part of a new testament church you've got to have the right building materials make sense so we see the second part they gladly received the word they were saved then they were what baptized Baptized. so someone wants to be a part of the church and they say hey we want to be a part of your church and say are you saved yes i know the lord i was saved when I was whatever years old and God's worked in my life and changed me and I, I, know, that I, I know that I'm I know that a believer I know I have the Holy Spirit of God okay salvation testimony is credible it, it, we believe that we'll take your word that, that you're saved that you know the Lord it seems like you have a love for God have you been baptized? well no I haven't been baptized or I was baptized in a Presbyterian church you know whatever or a a non-denominational church, etc., etc., way, way back when. Is that the kind that Jesus approves of? Is that the kind that's authoritative? Will any baptism from any place work? Well, we need to understand that Jesus gave the authority when he said, and let's go look at it, turn over to Matthew, chapter... Matthew 28, in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. That means to make disciples. It's to preach the gospel to see people saved baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost, teaching them, that's discipling, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now Jesus says, I have all power. That word power is the Greek word exousia, and it means authority. So Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Now I'm giving you my church, the authority, my authority to go preach the gospel, to baptize, and to disciple. Right? Everybody following that? If Jesus gave his authority to baptize to his church, then there's only one kind of church that has the authority to scripturally baptize. It's got to be one that Jesus approves of. So will any church's baptism do? Will any church's you know, uh, uh, dunking or, or sprinkling, and we can talk about the word baptism, baptizo. It means to dip. It means to plunge. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of what's happened to you spiritually on the inside. The old man is dead. He's gone. He's buried in the ground, under the water, risen to a new life in Christ. Sprinkling doesn't picture baptism, and we'll talk about that another day in our, in our Sunday school lessons. But does any church have authority to baptize? Well, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's mine. And I'm giving my authority as God to my church to baptize. So it's got to be the right kind. And so when people come in and they say, we want to join your church. Well, are you saved? Yes, I know the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord. When were you baptized or where were you baptized? Well, I was baptized in an Free church or a Presbyterian church or whatever we're not able to accept that as an authoritative baptism. Not because we think we're better than everybody else, but simply because the Word of God gives us this instruction. And so when I talk to people about that who want to join the church, and I say, were you baptized? They say in a whatever church, I say, okay, would you mind? Would you like to have some Bible studies? Would you like to see what the Bible teaches concerning that? And many times uh, when someone's like, sure, I... I'll do that. And they see it unfolding in the word of God before. I never knew this. I've never been taught this. I didn't understand this before. And they say, you know what? I need to, I want to follow Christ. I want to be obedient to the word of God. I need to be scripturally baptized. And they want to be baptized with the right authority and the right baptism. Praise the Lord. Now you've become the right component You've become the right building part, the right building material to be a part of the Lord's church. Other times it happens like this, where I begin to explain from the Word of God why we can't receive that baptism or take that as authoritative. I say, if you really want to be a part of this church, then what you need to do is we need to do some Bible study. You need to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and what it means. And you need to submit yourself to being baptized. And many times it also happens this way where people are like, you know what? Nope. I'm good. My baptism's fine. And we never see him again. You know what? That's also okay. Why? Because that baptism and the doctrine we hold just became a gatekeeper to protect the church. When you start letting in the wrong kinds of materials, right it doesn't it's not cohesive it doesn't fit it doesn't work inside of this and 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 a lot of times more problems begin to come up than are good they're not teachable they're not instructable they're not going to be helpful to this assembly and so that baptism became the gatekeeper that kept out what shouldn't come in and it also becomes the door through which God brings in and sets in the the body as it hath pleased Him. Make sense? We hold this position not because we think we're better than people, but because this is what we believe the Word of God teaches. It is exclusive. It has to be the right components, the right building materials for it it to be an actual assembly. Back in Acts 2.41 we saw, again, God's qualifications and God's order for church membership. Gladly receiving the word. They've got to be saved. Secondly, they have to have baptism, the right kind of baptism. And then thirdly, we see that they were added to the church. Now look at verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord is the one who is doing the adding to the church. Now look at chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and verse 14. The Bible says, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and of women. Here again, the qualification is they've got to be believers. They've got to be born again. And they're added to the Lord's body uh, as it pleased Him. So, this is the only scriptural way by which people become members of a Baptist church. Salvation first, then scriptural baptism. Those make up the right components for membership in a church now the next section so definition of what is a new testament church the new testament baptist church is an organized assembly of baptized believers everybody follow that it's local it's visible it's organized it's an assembly of baptized believers and by the way baptism only comes after salvation in the bible It's always believer's baptism. It's never in reverse order. Somebody was baptized in order to be saved, etc., etc. Make sense? Okay, so the next section in our lesson is the church has a head. The church has a head. It's likened unto a body, a physical body, which also has a head that controls. So does the New Testament church. Man-made religions and organizations have their heads as well, They've got presidents and popes and moderators and superintendents, etc. Each New Testament Baptist church also has a head, but one who is vastly different from any others. The head of the, of the Lord's church is not the pastor. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look up Colossians 1. Man, we run out of time so fast. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 18. Uh, Daniel, would you, would you read Colossians 1.18 for us?
1: And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all...
0: All right. So we're going to slow that down. We're going to read it again, and I want you to think about it, Daniel. And I want you to tell me, tell me what you take out of it. What you, what you think that means.
1: Well, I think it means that Christ is the leader. He's the head of the body, which is the believers. Okay. And so God is the beginning.
0: Okay, so he's the head of it. What else does that verse say? If Christ, he, he is Christ, he is the head of the body, the church, right? So the church is the body, his body, he's the head. What, is it, what else does it say then about him? Not only is he a head, but what should happen here?
1: Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the
0: preeminence? That phrase right there. It tells us where the direction and the ought to be towards uh, in a New Testament church. That Christ is the head, and that in everything that the New Testament church does, Jesus Christ should have the preeminence. He's the one who should have all of the focus. He's the one who should have all of the glory and all of the power. Christ. Not an individual, not a group of people, but Jesus Christ. He's the head of His church. That gets reversed. It gets turned around a lot of times in churches where it's man worship and the pastor is like this dominant figure who just controls everything in the, in the church and, 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 and a lot of it becomes man worship. We see that and have seen that historically in a lot of Baptist churches and I could name a few that would be very familiar in your mind And it looks like this great movement is happening. And God's doing amazing things. And we've got hundreds of people in our membership. And guess what? There's a guy who's standing up there who kind of drives the ship. Now what happens when the guy dies? Or he leaves? That body's going to die too. Or it's going to be scattered. Because Jesus Christ isn't the one Running the ship. And we need to make sure that in all things he has the preeminence. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And let's see. Chris, why don't you read verses 23 and 24 for us?
1: husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be unto their husbands, everything.
0: Okay, according to verse 23, who is the head of a New Testament church? Christ. Jesus Christ. So, Christ is the head of the church. That's a a blank for you to fill in in your lesson. Now, according to these verses then as well, each church is to be what to its head? Subject. Subject. The word is subject. Each church is to be subject to its head, meaning that we don't make rules in a New Testament church. We don't make up... Now, we have some policies and some things that we do organizationally. But Jesus Christ is the one who makes truth, and Jesus Christ is the one who tells us what to do. He does that in His Word, and we follow Christ as we are trying to be obedient to this right here. Yeah. Not because some man made up some things. That's a cult, yeah. right? And we won't follow that because it's not the word of God. Each church is to be subject to its head. Now let's look up Galatians chapter 3. We've got to be finished here in just a minute. But look up at Galatians chapter 3 in verse 1. And we've been studying through the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. And we considered this verse O foolish Galatians! who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. So what happened to the church in Galatia? Well, they were being led astray, right? And the Judaizers had come in, and they were teaching a different gospel. And Paul says, you're being foolish. Who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You're obeying something that's not true. Just because others had taught this or had this formulated in their mind doesn't make it true. And Paul says, you've departed from the gospel. You departed from from what I've taught you, and I didn't receive that from me. I got that from God on the authority of the Lord and gave it to you. That make sense? And so they were foolish in departing from it. Now, let's also look. At chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, in verse 7. Now, and we're going to answer this question, in what way is a church subject to its head? Okay? Galatians 5 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to... I'm in chapter 6, sorry. No. There we go. That's better. He said, he did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So we're answering the question, how or in what way is a church subject to its head? Paul said to the Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He said, he did run well. What hindered you that you should not obey the truth? So what is... How are we subject to our head? By obeying the truth. The truth of God's word. Jesus Christ is not just a figurehead. Any church which is not subject to him and his laws is out of control. No church has the right to make laws. It may only obey the laws that are already given by the head through the word. that makes sense? A church without a living head is dead. Just like your head is gone on your body, your body is dead. Same in a New Testament church. We've got to stop right there. Next time we're going to talk about the church having officers. There's two offices in a New Testament church. It's pastors and deacons. The qualifications are given in the Word of God. How to fill those. Okay. And we're going to talk about a couple more things regarding a New Testament church, how a church makes decisions. The Word of God tells us that, that the authority is in a church. We're going to talk about the church being an independent institution, meaning that there is no other head, there's no hierarchy, there's no organization that sends down orders. It's an independent, autonomous, authoritative body. And we're going to talk about what our commission is as a New Testament church. What should our Focus B as a church. And then we're going to talk about your relationship to a church. Okay? Good. Glad that you all could be with us in this class. You'll miss out on the rest of the good stuff.